Thanks for joining us at Keys for SLPs, opening new doors for speech-language pathologists to better serve clients throughout the lifespan, a weekly audio course and podcast from SpeechTherapyPD.com. I'm your host, Mary Beth Hines, a curious SLP who embraces lifelong learning. Keys for SLPs brings you experts in the field of speech-language pathology, as well as collaborative professionals, patients, and caregivers to discuss therapy strategies, research, challenges, triumphs, and career opportunities. Engage with a range of practitioners from young innovators to pioneers in the field as we discuss a variety of topics to help the inspired clinician thrive. Each episode of Keys for SLPs has an accompanying audio course on speechtherapypd.com available for 0.1 ASHA CEUs. We are offering an audio course subscription special coupon code to listeners of this podcast. Type the word keys for $20 off. With hundreds of audio courses on demand and new courses released weekly, it's only $59 per year with the code word keys. Visit speechtherapypd.com and start earning ASHA CEUs today. Welcome to this episode of Keys for SLPs, Keys to 10 Ways to Optimize Your Success as an SLP. I am your host, Mary Beth Hines. Before we get started, we have a few items to mention. As a reminder, if you're joining us for this live course and your state license requires live CEUs, be sure to complete all the course modules, including the one that says quiz, by the end of the day today on your speechtherapypd.com account. We encourage questions from our participants. You can put your questions in the chat box for our guests to answer throughout the episode. And here are the financial and non-financial disclosures. I am the host of Keys for SLPs podcast and receive compensation from speechtherapypd.com. I'm a coaching client and subscribe to Fresh SLP, no non-financial disclosures to report. Maddie Teggles receives compensation from speechtherapypd.com for this episode and coaches the host through Fresh SLP. Maddie's non-financial disclosures are that she is a member of SIG 3, 13, and 18. She is the MNSHA Future Professionals Committee Advisor. And now, here's a little bit about our guest today. Maddie Murray-Teggles received her Master of Arts degree in Communication Sciences and Disorders in 1992 from Washington State University. She has spent more than 25 years working around the world as a medical SLP in a variety of settings, has mentored and supervised over 100 students and CFs, and has completed almost 24,000 one-on-one hours of skilled intervention. She now lives in Minnesota and is a college professor and clinical supervisor for a CSD graduate program. She also has been a frequent guest speaker on topics such as aphasia, dysphagia, voice disorders, and counseling. Maddie holds a number of nationally certified recognitions. She is a certified life strategies coach and speaker for the National Alliance of Mental Illness. Maddie has a distinct passion for life, and her career is part of that passion. She is the founder and creative drive behind her legacy project, Fresh SLP, a website empowering graduate students and new SLPs to transition into their careers, and Badass SLP, a focused coaching program for the more experienced SLP. Maddie and her Fresh SLP team offer guidance through a variety of venues, including a podcast called The Missing Link for SLPs, a membership program, courses, webinars, and live streaming events. Fresh SLP offers a private Facebook community for SLPs to safely ask need-to-know questions, individual coaching, and group coaching. Maddie believes that SLPs have the power and the drive to have the careers they have paid for, worked for, and dreamed about for so many years. Welcome, Maddie. That's a long introduction, but I think it's so important because you do so much. It's just me, just me having fun. I know we abbreviated a little bit for the series, but for the, this episode of keys for SLPs, we might have some people who never listened to Ah. the series or watched the series. So I wanted to let everyone know all about you and just how wonderful you are. That's a little embarrassing. It's so long, but it's, you know, I've had a great career and I've done some really fun things. And that's why I have the websites that I do. And that's why I'm, I guess, like on podcasts like yours, because I believe in what we're doing in our field. Wow. So thanks and, for having me on. 
We so appreciate everything that you are doing. And you just wrapped up the Sunday series for speechtherapypd.com on professional skills. Can you tell us a little bit about that series? Sure. When I started writing for that series, we were going to call it What You Didn't Learn in Grad School. (laughs) And in fact, on the Missing Link for SLPs podcast, we have a whole series and it was what you didn't learn in grad school, because as a graduate professor and out and about, I was noticing that there was this big need for new students and SLPs, transitioning SLPs, to learn some of these core critical skills. So we developed the 10-part Sunday series, Speech Therapy PD and FreshSLP.com, and it spanned 10 courses with three different areas of focus. The first area of focus was on building a strong person. And so the second area of focus was on building a strong SLP. And the third area of focus was building a strong career. So we covered everything. We had a lot of fun on those 10 series. Yes, we did. And I had the honor of moderating a few of them. So so thank you for that. I haven't had a chance to listen to all of them yet, but I look forward to doing so. Before we dive into the list of those professional skills, can you tell us why professional skills are so critical for the successful SLP? Yes, I'm glad you asked that question. Graduate school really focuses on clinical skills as it should. And there's so much to cover in grad school. As a grad professor, we're just piling every minute that we can in with things having to do with SLPs. And so professional skills, um, a lot of times students are, they've spent a lot of years um, in their undergraduate program, or they just haven't had the opportunities to develop professional skills, such as email etiquette, conflict resolution, schedule management, time management, They graduate with their degrees, they hit their clinical fellows, and they have these roadblocks because they dream that all these big, wonderful things are going to happen. They're going to have this great career and they can, and it would be so much smoother if they had professional skills down as well. So I strongly believe in the 10-part series that we did. It's really the missing link to really launch a successful professional career. That makes sense. It also makes sense coming after... Uh, the past few years, some of the brand new graduates of the past few years haven't really had an opportunity mm-hmm. to be actually in their settings. A lot of a lot of those clinical hours have been online, and it's mm-hmm. those professional. There there are professional skills that you use in a face to face setting that can be a little bit different than online. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, that's those have been some challenges for the recent graduates, and this May, just what last month we graduated our COVID class. So the class that when COVID hit in March of 2020, they now graduated in May of 2022. Mm. So this is our first COVID class graduating. Wow. And what a story they will have to tell down the Mm -hmm. line. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's different. It's a different, it's a different, it's a different playing field right now. mm Mm-hmm. All right. So let's list the 10 professional skills that you discussed on the Sunday series to optimize your success as an SLP. And then after we list all of them, we're, we're going to dive into each yep. one. And we limited it to 10 because there's more. Maybe we'll come back and do, I don't know, an encore year or two down the road. The first one was uh, imposter syndrome. That was out of the gate. We hit it hard and we had some great conversations The second one was building working relationships. The third one was counseling skills for SLP. The fourth one was professional communication skills. The fifth one was conflict management. The sixth one was decision-making for SLPs. The seventh one was being a team player. Number eight, schedule and time management for SLPs. Number nine, self-advocacy. And number 10 was stress management for SLPs. I have my favorites. I would be curious to see what what your data showed, where the most engagement was, but every single one of those was a great course. Absolutely. And well attended and so appreciated. And I think it'll also be a very useful series for people to be able to use or engage in on their own time as things come up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go back and learn. And sometimes, you know, you might think, oh, I don't need conflict resolution now, but later on you might. And Mm -hmm. when I created the courses, nobody's written anything 
on a course for conflict resolution for SLP. So a lot of the material I pulled from was from the business setting. And do you have any theories as to why that it has never been written upon? I don't think there's been a big need for it until now. Graduate students have graduated with their, their degrees and they've been able to blend on in and there hasn't been the acuity for a course like this. And now just with the demands of COVID and the changing field and our whole world changing, I think it's really put a lot of pressure on SLPs to really have to hit their clinical fellowships just more prepared than ever before. Mm-hmm. So dynamics have changed. All right. Well, that, that is interesting. All right. Well, we can dive into that one a little bit more, but let's start with start at the very beginning. And <laughs> Imposter syndrome was one of my first courses. I love to sing. I do that all the time. My kids, you know, <laughs> I was, my listeners know that I'm tone deaf, so I am proving it to them. They're like, wow, she's right. Sixth grade. I was Maria on the stage at the grade school play and let's start at the very beginning. And we, that was one of the songs in the sound of music. <sighs> imposter syndrome was a really fun course to write because a lot of people think that imposter syndrome is a lack of confidence and it can be tied to a lack of confidence. The lack of confidence can be a secondary of imposter syndrome, but what it really is, is a mental, it's just chronic self-doubt, fear, and shame. It's those little negative patterns in your head that are saying, you're not good enough, and they're going to find out about you, and someday, you know, you're going to fail, and all of these other things, and that's that's imposter syndrome, and it can exist on a scale from hardly having it at all to being paralyzed with it. And so understanding how it's different from confidence, building your confidence, because if you go take courses and you go get experience and you connect with a mentor, you will build your confidence, which is great. But until you address those little negative thoughts that are going on in your head and actually step into knowing what you know and turning that mental wellness track around, you're going to continue to suffer from imposter syndrome. I'm also a speaker for National Alliance of Mental Illness. And so a lot of what I talk about has mental wellness things woven throughout here. Some of the tools for dealing with self-imposter syndrome is recognizing when they emerge, talking about those feelings with somebody trustworthy, creating an attitude of positivity and addressing diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Find out others who think differently than you do and go learn and embrace that. Get comfortable with failure and reframe it as reframe failure as a learning opportunity. Be kind yourself to yourself. Don't compare with others. Things like that help with imposter syndrome. But that whole, we had a whole hour to discuss what I just capsulated in two minutes. And while imposter syndrome certainly applies to an SLP career, it can apply mm-hmm. to other areas of your life as well. Mm-hmm. And women suffered from it more than men, 70% of the women. The more educated, the more higher overachieving we are, the more likely we are to have struggles with imposter syndrome. One of the things that I work hard with with my students, they want to have everything just right, everything just perfect for their very first session. They want their everything laminated and cut out and their lesson plans perfect. And they're, so it has to go this way. And it's really building in that sense of it doesn't have to be perfect. I don't have to be perfect. No session ever really is perfect because you're responding to the needs of what I call your guest of honor, your kiddo, your client, your patient, whoever you're working with. They're the ones that's really dictating the session and how that goes. You are responding to them and you're doing the best you can and you don't have to be perfect. And in fact, you don't want to be perfect. So no one is perfect, including that guest Mm -hmm. of honor. And I have never heard that term before, Maddie. Um, guest of honor applied it to a therapeutic Mm -hmm. setting or to a person in therapy. And I just love that. It's so fun, especially when somebody sits in my radiology chair, our doctor, our radiologist, I have one radiologist. I just, I love, and he comes in, I say, hi, Dr. Bechtel, here's our guest of honor today. And I introduce him and it's just very much a, a validation and a recognition. And it raises that person you're working with up to a level of teamwork. You are the guest of honor. You are the reason we're here. You're the reason why we're meeting today. And I find that people warm up to that really well. 
Mm-hmm. Exactly. And they get, a, they get a chuckle out of it. It's fun. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's great. And you are right. They are why we are doing what we're doing and, and they should be yep. the guest of honor. I had just, I've heard person of the hour or, you know, man of the hour, woman of the hour, but I like guest of honor. Mm. Yeah. All right. So imposter syndrome. And of course that is available on speechtherapypd.com as are all of the 10 episodes. So if you would like to learn more, check that one out. Is there anything you would like to add to imposter syndrome, Maddie? Just the fact that it's it's it doesn't have to stay chronic. Like so many of our mental wellness challenges, we can go and address them and, and learn how to turn them around. It's not easy and it takes focus and dedication, but there's some great resources out there and don't continue to suffer with imposter syndrome just go make a difference in yourself. Thank you. And it is a term that we hear frequently now. Mm-hmm. And I know you touched upon it during the webinar, but when when was that term coined? That was coined back in 19... I'm going to look for it right here real quick. I want to say 1978, way longer than you would think. A long time ago. I don't think we started hearing about it till recently. I agree. And then I heard about it everywhere. Yeah. So, yeah. All well, right. I'm going to take a quick peek. It was in 19, 1978. Yep. Long time ago. Wow. Well, long time ago. Yes. Yes. It was a long time ago, especially for a term that you're, I mean, I think the first time I heard it was really within the last year. Mm-hmm. So I don't so, know. When, when was the first time you heard it? Probably three, four years ago. And now it's it's a word that is used to define insecurity, lack of confidence. So many it's it's just become such an umbrella term for so many things underneath it. Mm-hmm. So it's another reason why I believe in these courses, hopefully shedding some light on how it applies to our world as SLPs. Well, thank you for that. Yeah. Okay, what's next? Next is relationship building. We're asking our young SLPs, our fresh SLPs, our transitioning SLPs to step into the professional workplace. And this course was so important on learning how to build working relationships and professional relationships and how to conduct yourself in some of those settings. And so we talked a bit about relationships and we discussed six key characteristics of healthy relationships, including trust, diversity of thought, transparency, interconnectedness, respect, and effective communication and using those six pillars as ways to build healthy working relationships. SLPs often work isolated. And so we discussed how to build relationships in a virtual setting, in a hybrid setting, and in a real life setting. (laughs) I don't know what you call it anymore. We're just like real breathing people face to face, of, face <laughs> in to a breathing face. setting because <laughs> it's not face to face does not describe it because that could no, be online no no uh, in fact I was playing peekaboo with a little kiddo the other day and do you remember when we used to play peekaboo with the hands going up we get yeah. peekaboo and we'd lift our hands we'd cover our eyes and we'd say peekaboo and I had this little kiddo I was working with and he just was just you know, the, I he just I was having troubles connecting with them, so I did peekaboo with my mask, oh. and I was thinking how much our world has changed. Whoever would have thought we would have to do peekaboo with a mask years ago, mm-hmm. and here we are peekaboo. And when I pulled that mask down and I smiled, then I got the engagement with him. So it's learning how to build relationships in the in the workplace on a professional level, how to build that trust, how to build that effective communication. When you graduate into, you know, when you graduate and you step into your career, it's, this is, you know, you're not in elementary school or junior high or high school anymore. You're, this is your career and that's a good place to be. What would you say are the main differences in relationship building across those settings? The main difference? Yeah. The main difference between building a relationship when you are breathing in the same room as someone versus when you are on a Zoom call like we are on right now. Mm -hmm. When you're in the same room with a person, there's so much more you can pick up on. You can pick up on body cues, leaning, hand gestures, arms folded. You can pick up on just the finer nuances of 
of how that communication exchange is going, things that you're not even aware of. When you're on Zoom, you have to be much more aware that you're not talking over somebody, that you're clearer with your language, that you're allowing time for processing because the communication exchange is just different. It's modified. And understanding that that difference is there is really important. Well, thank you for sharing that. We have a question from a guest and I'm not exactly, I'm going to tell them yes here. They got a message that this was postponed, but there was something else that was postponed. So hopefully that person sees that and joins us. Let me just tell. Okay. So relationship building and and the nuances across settings and learning how to navigate those new worlds. So Mm -hmm. very good points. The next course we covered was counseling for SLPs. So many SLPs are not, especially when they're newer transitioning, they're not comfortable giving a heavy diagnosis or having some of those conversations that are challenging and difficult. We are caregivers and we want to be nice and we want to deliver the good news and, and we want people to like us. And having those conversations in a counseling setting is so important. In my opinion, if you're not doing counseling as an SLP, you're not doing service to, you're not just doing due diligence. Counseling is such an important part of what we do as SLPs. And we educate, we explain, we listen. In this course, we talked about active listening, some of the basics of counseling. What is active listening? Why is processing important? What about responding? And how do we respond to those that we are working with? And then how do we teach? And so those are some of the basic steps of counseling that we covered. Some of the skills we covered were probing and how to ask open-ended questions that allow the client time to share and elaborate on ideas. How do we express sympathy? How do we use silence in these conversations? How do we interpret what we have to say and what's being said to us? And so the counseling course was also a very effective course, I think. Do you feel counseling is not covered in graduate school as much as it was? I I know when I was taking my undergraduate prerequisites, I had a counseling course Mm -hmm. or it was within the title of a course and then a specific counseling course in graduate school. Is counseling still required, a specific counseling course required in graduate school? In my course, it is. In my program, it is. And it's one of the students' favorite, favorite courses. It's not, I don't teach it. It's a summertime course. They just rave about it. It's one of those courses that is so complementary to the clinical skills that we learn. And it's how to carry that information that we've gathered through an evaluation and assessment and a treatment plan and help the families, our guests of honor, the, the kiddos we work with, whoever it is, deal with what they have to deal with. Sometimes it's easier because it might be a straight speech sound disorder. Other times it might be, you know, a longer, more difficult conversation to have, such as, you know, your loved one is is aspirating. Let's talk about what that means. Mm-hmm. And so it's how, it's not necessarily what you present, it's how you present it. And that's the art of being an SLP. That's mm-hmm. the art of of having those counseling skills. So you can be at the level and say what you need to say and teach what you need to teach. Mm -hmm. So you decided to include it in the professional skills series because it is such an important skill Mm -hmm. one that is taught in graduate school, but it is also one that we need to continually practice. Right. Well, thank you for including that as well. All right. So what's next? On to communication. So we are communication specialists, right? (laughs) there's so many what's that that is correct (laughs) (laughs) but gosh there's so many things like email etiquette like how do you use the cc line so did you know that if you're if you're sending to a group of people you put the people that you need responses from in the two line and the people you don't need a response from you put in the cc line I never knew that. I actually didn't know that. I put in the two line, everybody who needs to know this information, but I wasn't thinking of it in terms of a response. Um, In the CC line, I put people who need to know the information 
well, I guess who don't need to, but I'm not addressing them directly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So like someone who might be a supervisor who needs to know Mm -hmm. that this communication is occurring, but I I don't necessarily need a response from them. So I guess I kind of use that, but (laughs) informally. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then how about the etiquette with the BCC? The blind carbon copy? Oh, yeah. Be careful with those. Use BCC so, so, so sparingly. And be careful when you CC. If you hit reply off, be very, very careful and very mindful of not multitasking when you're, or alternating attention, divided attention, whatever you want to call it, when you're replying to an email, because I have had it where somebody's CC'd to reply all. I mean, they've replied all and they've replied it to the whole entire chain when that shouldn't have been, or they've only replied back to one. And then this conversation goes on, people don't catch it. And then people feel slighted or left out or anything else like that. So email etiquette is very, very, very important, much more important than I ever thought. Responding to emails in a timely manner. BCC is the blind carbon copy. And that is when you're including somebody in an email chain that you do not want your two person to know who you're sending the email to and the carbon copy people to know about either. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I I very rarely Mm-mm. use the BCC. It's u- used a lot when like, you know, I have kids who are in school. So if a teacher sends something to the entire class, it'll mm-hmm. come to me, but then the rest of the class is blind carbon copied. Mm-hmm. So obviously that's, there's a purpose, but in our work, it can get very tricky. Mm-hmm. And, Especially and, when you've got things you're replying to some and not others and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if anything with HIPAA was involved, then mm-hmm. uh, we certainly would want to be very careful of that. These are the little snags, the little potholes that can really snag a new or transitioning SLP because she or he might not know of the email etiquettes and they might make a, a, you know, a mistake or, and you can't, you can't control how other people take what you do. You can only be held accountable for your own actions. And so learn email etiquette, learn phone etiquette, learn your timelines, which is what we learn in our course because that speaks loudly to you about you professionally as well. Mm-hmm. So all of these things make impressions. Did you have an opportunity to cover be- besides CCing and, and the rules about sending emails about the body of the email? We did not cover as- that here. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Would you have any advice as far as sometimes you get an email from some people and it's very easy to read with bullet points and, and bold And other times it's like, it takes a few minutes to go through the paragraph. Yeah. If people research shows that if you have this long lengthy email, people are not going to read it. They might read the first sentence or two. You have the three second rule. They're going to read for three seconds and decide if they need to deal with it right then, or if they need to file it away for later. And if they can deal with it right then. So if you make your email, dear so-and-so, and be very clear at the beginning. And you can say, I hope you're having a great day. I'm writing this letter, but put it right at the beginning why you're writing this letter. I want you to, I'm requesting that you, you know, put it right at the beginning, pull bullet points out. Don't do long, long, long paragraphs, three sentences, and then break into another paragraph. It's going to be easier on the eyes and more inviting for the reader. And they're going to be less likely to click off it and come back later. Pull things out into bullet points put resources, links, if you need them right then and there at the end of the letter, wrap it back up and say, this is what I'm, thanks for doing what I've asked you to do. Somebody just put in the chat. It's true. Yes. Emails can be subpoenaed. Yes. They can be subpoenaed. (laughs) These are, especially if they're in something like a my chart or something like that, be professional. Always, always, always be professional and put your your closing your signature line in there in the end as well. Yeah, have your email, your address, your phone number, email address and everything. Mary, you've frozen. Yes, I froze. Oh, I'm still frozen. You are. Mm-hmm. I just want to make sure I'm not frozen. No, you were frozen. <laughs> oh, I'm scarily frozen. <laughs> you can hear me though. Yeah, I can hear you. But yeah, that's that's email etiquette. It's you cannot take back what you send out. 
And if you have a colleague, this gets a little into conflict resolution. If you have a colleague that, man, you just, no matter what happens with your best intentions, you guys just keep rubbing against each other, then think of a different way of going to communicate. Maybe email is not the best way for you to go communicate. Go talk to her or him. So email is not always the best way. Be clear, straightforward, and concise with your emails. Okay. My video settings are funny and I can't turn off my scary face, but it's um, a podcast. <laughs> it's a podcast. And as long as you can hear me, we're just going to go with it. Okay. Okay. One more question on emails. I know we don't have too much time to spend on that, but how about when someone is giving a direction? So like someone in a supervisory role is giving um, instructions to, let's say a new CF. And in the email, they put it in all caps. Oh, yeah. Don't do that. That's like you're yelling at somebody. Don't use all caps. Yeah. Do not use all caps. Upper, lowercase, be friendly. I read something the other day that was helpful that I thought, you know, how as SLPs, we're always teaching our students give specific feedback, right? In your your closing remarks, put something specific if you can, like, thanks for responding to this promptly. I appreciate you getting this document ready. So be specific. I guess things like sincerely and warmly are coming off not as engaging or not as sincere, but use upper and lowercase for sure. All right. Okay. Well, so that sounds like the communication episode sounds like a great episode and we could all use a little refresher or just learn other people's perspectives because you don't always know. Now, I did know someone who used all caps and I thought, well, I don't (laughs) think they really understood. So, you know, hard to read. Yeah. Yeah. Except when it says happy birthday or Uh, congratulations. Yes. Congratulations. Or I'm so excited for you. Like I will put that in all caps. I, I guess all caps kind of um, implies a higher volume that you're you're mm-hmm. kind of shouting and excited. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Okay, so communication. What's next? Conflict management. So this was a good course. So many SLPs. I got so much feedback on Facebook from this. On I sit in an IP meeting and I, I parents are advocating for their kids. Yet I, you know they don't test. And how do we resolve this conflict? How do we resolve conflict among team members? How do we resolve conflict when the setting I work in is demanding more and more and more of me? And so this course tied in well with the self-advocacy course. And so the the conflict resolution, we went over on understand what conflict is and, and where it's coming from. So identify that, explore the fundamentals of conflict resolution. How are you going to resolve the conflicts that you have? Are there different needs? Are there different perspectives, different priorities at the heart of the conflict? And understand things, try to understand things from your perspective, but also the other person's perspective. And successful conflict depends on your ability to to manage your stress while you remain calm, control both your emotions and your behavior, listen fully to the needs being expressed, and be aware and respectful of those differences understand some that there are sometimes unhealthy responses and that can be by you or by the the party that you have the conflict with and what to do with those unhealthy responses and then how to support and search after and and really engage the healthy responses which is what you want to be shifting to and that was a great way to talk about conflict resolution, work our way through some of those steps of, and then we did some case studies in that course, I believe. Yes. Excellent. All right. Well, that is something. And as you said, this happened to me once as a parent, I read a book and I was like, oh, well, this is interesting, but it doesn't really apply to my life right now. And then sure enough, a few years later, it did apply. So it's Mm -hmm. great just to put that in the back of your head, that there is a whole course on conflict management for SLPs on speechtherapypd.com. And so if six months or a year down the road, something comes up, remember we have it as a full course. So, all right, what is next? Next was decision-making, decision-making for SLPs. And we talked both about We didn't cover clinical decision-making as much because I was assuming that was covered in graduate school. 
but it's more about how to be a good decision maker and how to weigh those decisions that you have to make. So one of the things we went over was considering your personalities, traits, and your strengths. But so many of us try to make decisions based on like what job to take or, you know, where to go with our careers based on what other people want us to do or what we think other people want us to do. When you're making decisions, consider your personality traits and strengths. Then know your goals. Look at what your goals are. Where do you want to go? What do you want to do? And tap back into what makes you excited. When you get lost at work, that's where you find yourself. Collect information on decisions so you can make an educated decision and consider all of your options. When you consider different options, imagine the different scenarios and go down some of those rabbit trails. And then when you've gone down some of those rabbit trails, condense your possible outcomes to just the top few, eliminate options before making a final decision. Understand that options, some options have uh, equal value. So there's no right or wrong. There's sometimes A or B. We talked about additional decision-making tools like a decision-making matrix and Eisenhower matrix and a stakeholder analysis as actual tools for making decisions. Yeah. And embrace the consequences and learn from your past decisions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that helps people move from that paralysis with decision-making. Just mm-hmm. if you know that if you make the wrong decision and you learn from it, then it's okay. It, it gives you the power to make that wrong decision. Mm-hmm. I'm reading a good book right now by Maria Marie Forleo. Everything is figure outable. Yeah. It's like, well, you know, you make a bad decision, you're going to figure out how to make it right. I like you that. Figure outable. Yeah. <laughs> Everything is figure outable. And if it's not figure outable, figure out a way to make it figure outable. And look at that. I figure outable my video. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I figured it out. I'm not scaring everyone with that look anymore. (laughs) Um, All right. So decision-making. And I believe I was the moderator on that one. Yeah. Yes. Okay. What came next? Team players is next. And that is how to integrate into some interprofessional relationships, how to be part of a bigger team. And for SLPs, that can be harder because we are... We just, you know, in the skilled nursing facilities I worked in, I was the only one. In the rural hospitals, I was the only SLP with bigger departments. PTs were much bigger, OTs were a bit bigger, and then there was me. So learning how, and this course covered a lot on why does it matter? Why do I need to go that extra mile? Why is that really important? Because I'm kind of, I can work by myself. I'm kind of a introvert anyways, right? It's really important to be a team player because it improves patient outcomes. It improves overall happiness at work. Teamwork helps you grow and learn. And working alongside others, it doesn't make you feel so isolated. So when you do have problems that come up, you've got some relationships that you've already started. I am not a big person for, I don't have I don't have a lot of friends, but the friends I have are really good. And so building relationships was harder for me because I just don't do as well with what I considered superficial relationships. And then I learned that these really weren't superficial, but they were time limited because we would arrive at work and we had what, 15 minutes and we would hit the ground running. And then we used to work through lunch And then at the end of the day, everybody's busy charting. And so it wasn't that they were superficial relationships. We were just under the demands of work. Mm -hmm. And so we as a team learned to make sure that we take our lunches together and we hold one another accountable. And we have great things up around the office. How are you doing today? And when somebody's not doing as well, we ask. And so it's not that we have to be best friends or have these deep conversations. We just have to care. And that is what being a team player is, is caring for other people. So get to know who your teammates are and pull in their values and acknowledge when they're doing something well. Remember that faster isn't always better. You can maybe do things faster, but somebody else might be able to do it a different way. And by letting them, allowing them, giving them that opportunity, you allow them that space to be a team player. Offer a helping hand. Be self-aware and take action. Think beyond yourself and really communicate. Those are some of the things we, yeah, for being a team player. And keep an open mind. 
there's a lot of ways to think out there. The way you think is only one way. It's the way you think. There's mm-hmm. a lot of other ways people can think. And then go for the support of the whole team. Be a team player. Pay, play well in the sandbox and support your colleagues as well. I also love that Maddieism. Play well in the sandbox. <laughs> <laughs> I love to play in the sandbox. That's, I did so much of that as a kid. So I didn't want to interrupt when we when you were talking, but I was very interested to hear about that change that you made in that specific setting. Was it a, a team change or was it something that you noticed and you kind of got people on board? I mean, how did that how did it go from being a group of people who were in their silos charting and maybe, you know, eating by themselves to a, a deliberate team atmosphere? I lifted my head up out of the sand and realized that they were having conversations without me and doing things without me, not because they didn't like me, but because I was, I, I do honestly tend to be an introvert and I like my alone time and I was happy with my alone time. And I realized that I need to connect with my teammates. When I connect with my teammates, the patient care is better. I'm better. I'm happier. I walk in and I I know I've got people who care about me. And so in my self-reflections, I was like, Maddie, you need to, you need to reach out. They're not excluding you for whatever reason. And sometimes, you know, it's so easy for us to, you know, be the the broken bird, well, they're excluding me and, and this and that, all the reasons. And there's this one of my favorite poems is heretic, rebel, lunatic, lunatic, stout. They drew a circle and shut me out. My gosh, I'm going to slaughter it. Heretic, rebel, something when we had the wit and drew him in. But it's instead of drawing the circle and cutting people out, it's drawing the circle and pulling people in. It's, it's really important. And we don't have to wait for people to pull us in. We can go join. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So true to call people in mm-hmm. instead of calling them out. Yeah, yeah, very true. And I haven't heard that poem, but I wrote it down and I'm definitely going to look that up. <laughs> I should memorize it. <laughs> oh, it's one of my, I, it's one of, I remember, I memorized it when I was a little girl. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But when we do find ourselves in those situations where we feel like, people uh, might be excluding us to look at it from a different lens and say, well, Mm -hmm. it could be me and see what you can do to, to change that narrative. And you have the power to change that narrative and you don't have to get, people don't have to like you. I've learned that people don't have to like me, but almost everybody does. I was going to say that sounds kind of hard, Maddie. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't have to, I'm friends with everybody on my team, but you know, we don't have to, I used to think I had to be nice and everybody had to like me. And I don't think that as much anymore. I'm me. And if people like me for me, then that's great. Well, clarification, I was saying it's hard not to like you. You are a very likable person. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. There we go. Team building. And that's a good thing. Saying, find those little compliments to pay people. Find those little ways to pull people out. And if you can identify an insecurity or uh, just something that's holding them back, reach out to them. Which is a lot harder to do and has to be done more gently, but that can really call someone in as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. Team building. And, you know, it's fun to be on a team. We've talked about that. My favorite part of work is is being on a team. And mm-hmm. I don't know if that comes from playing sports as a kid or or what, or being from a large family, but I like being part of a team. Yeah. I was always on the individual sports. So yeah, skier yeah. and all of that. Yeah. Interesting. All right. So what's next? Schedule and time management. I think this was a course where it was so funny. I got, I don't think we had any comments during the course, but we got a ton of comments on the Facebook site later. People want to know how to be a high-performing SLP, and it's through scheduling and time management. It's learning how to manage your time and manage what you have coming at you. So this was a great course. We talked about tracking your current routine and choosing a scheduling tool I am a big believer in block time scheduling. 
if anybody's a LinkedIn subscriber, there's some really good time management courses on LinkedIn, but I do, I do block time scheduling, which means that I, on my calendar and I color code because I'm a color coded, that's, I'm a visual learner. So I might have, so if I take a university day, I would start my day at 7.30 to 8. I'm answering emails. 8 to 9, I might be prepping for a class. 9 to 8, so 8 to 8, 9.15, I'm prepping for a class. 9.15 to 11, I'm teaching. 11 to 12 is office hours. You know what I mean? And on my calendar is boom, 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 boom. So I know that when that eight o'clock time rolls around, my email time is done and I click over now into my course prep. If I don't put the boundaries on the block time schedules, then I find that email eats away into my, my class prep time. And then I'm behind on my class prep time. So when I work, I work hospitals on Fridays, um, my clinic on Fridays, and I arrive at 7.15, 7.15, I'm getting my files ready and my folders ready and my data sheets and everything ready to go. 7.30, I welcome my first guest of honor and I work my way through the day. Then I know exactly where my charting is and I put headphones on and I chart and then I break for lunch. So I, I, I'm a firm believer in sticking to that schedule as much as I can. Research also shows us that if we set a timer, if we have a big project that we have to write, like an IEP or something like that, set aside a a chunk of time and set a timer for an odd number of minutes. So instead of 60 minutes, set it for 53 because your brain is going to be able to grasp that number that's off from 60. We all work, oh, I got to work for an hour. And you're already kind of an exhaustion before you even think about it, right? But if you say, oh, I'm going to work for 53 minutes and set the timer, you can do that. And then odds are you're going to make it to 53 and then you're just going to finish off your hour, right? And so that was schedule and time management. Back to the email example with the block time schedule. So Mm -hmm. you're setting aside the time for your emailing. And what happens if you're not done with that task? If that task is not completed before it's time to move on to the next, what is your suggestion? One of the very first things when I start setting up a new semester is I track my current routine. And if I have a 30 minute for an email and I need more, then I schedule it later in the day. If I'm not done with my emails at that time, they don't get done and I do them later in the day. So I'll usually do my email three times a day, morning, noon, and before I go home in the afternoon. Okay. And did you get into any specific time management strategies for specific settings in that course? Let's say, you know, hospital-based versus clinic-based, or was it a general time management course? It was more a general time management course, but we had case studies built in at the end where we may have gotten to some of them, but it was more a general, here's how you use time block, here's how you use timers and, and schedulers and things like that, and here's how you manage we did talk a bit about how to manage caseloads and how to prep at the beginning of the day and the end of the day and, and being organized. I really like to do when I do an evaluation and I set my goals up, that's all done by the time my eval is done. I've talked to my my uh, guest of honor and, and they've given me their input. I go and collect those materials right then or at the end of that first day. And when those materials are collected, those go in the file and then that file is done. So when I arrive at the morning of, at a clinic, everything I need, all of my um, treatment plans or my data sheets are paper clipped together with the date, the goals, and you know the patient's name. And then I've got my stack of materials. If I have case studies, those are usually done. I work a lot on templates and I've learned how to dictate instead of writing, writing everything out. And then I cut and paste into my Epic. Oh, working with the template's a great way to go. Mm-hmm. And then you just, you know, patient is a 86 year old male who's referred by his primary care physician. And then you list the reason and the symptoms, the medical chart, the personal report, current diet. Are you That's using a, a dictating service through the hospital or are you dictating into oh. your own personal computer or work computer? Uh, work computer. Okay. So you, do you have a special program or app or it's just the re- regular? They just, there's a microphone on it. And it's the Microsoft version and it has, the word has a microphone. And then I am really particular about how my files are organized. And so I will have very specific files for how to dictate a clinical swallow eval. And here's the template. 
mm-hmm. how to dictate or, or what to include in a dictation for a video swallow review, what to include in a chart review dictation for, or a, a you know, a, a dictation for a child language. I don't do too many of those. And then what are the results for the modified barium MBS IMP? Mm-hmm. And then all of the like clinical impressions, I make sure that I put, you know, the consistencies and the views and the results and the stages and various and, and the strategies used in the, um, you know, the safe swallow steps and the recommendations and the diet and the education. When I work off a template and you just make a template for your setting for speech sound, I, I don't come from the school system. So I can't speak to that, but if I'm doing a speech sound disorder, well, then, you know, I'm talking about sensory and expressive language and receptive language and pragmatic language and all of those things. And those are all in the template. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's a huge time saver. Yeah. Yes. I have used templates, but I, I haven't used dictation for reports. So that's interesting. Yeah. You talk it out. And when I teach it to my students, I say sit with a colleague of yours, sit with a, you know, a cohort member and in a minute, tell them what the results of your evaluation were. And in one of my classes, this is a part of a final report. I'll say, you know, all the whole class will create this fictional character and each student gets to choose their own, not character, client or guest of honor. And at the end, they have to give a one, a three minute overall view of everything. And students have a hard, hard, hard time with that. But either like six, seven minutes, and they're like, Professor, I can't, I can't narrow it down. And if you can't narrow it down, then you haven't mastered that material enough. Because when you're in a radiology department, you have 15 seconds to tell the radiologist what we're looking for, just the preview. And if there's anything more that needs to be discussed, you can discuss it, but it's, you know, recurrent aspiration pneumonia. And so it's learning how to dictate and really refine what you're wanting to say. And so I have them practice with one another. Oh, that's a great strategy. Excellent. Okay. Well, time flies when you're having fun. (laughs) (laughs) Now we got started a little late because of our technical difficulties at the beginning there. So we have a couple more minutes and I know we have a little bit more to say. So for anyone who needs to leave at the hour, and then we started on the 15, there's just a reminder, if you are joining us for this live course and your state license requires live CEUs, be sure to go to your speechtherapypd.com account and complete all the course modules, including the one that says quiz by the end of the day today. Also, a reminder for everyone listening to the live course, if you if you have any questions, you can put those in the chat and Maddie will answer them. All right. So schedule and time management. What was next? Self-advocacy. This is a powerful course for newer and transitioning SLPs, learning how to step up for yourself and say what you want to say in clear, straightforward. That's why I started Badass SLP, somebody who doesn't apologize for what they do and what they think and just coming across strong. Some of the things that we covered were learning what self-advocacy really is and why it's a skill that matters for SLPs unpacking some of the common roadblocks that prevent self-advocacy with the goal of being able to work around those roadblocks more effectively and efficiently. We talked about key principles to help you become a stronger self-advocate, like knowing and understanding your rights and responsibilities, learning about the ethics in our field, understanding our scope of practice, and learning and being comfortable talking about your needs, strengths, and weaknesses. Ask questions when you need clarification. And remember that you're an equal partner in your career. Assert yourself. If you have something to say, say it. And let people know that you intend to resolve issues. Follow up and be consistent. And don't say you're sorry unless you've done something wrong. Figure out a different way to say, just a moment, let me respond to you. Or, I mean, if you've done something wrong, apologize. But otherwise, don't apologize. And learn about assertive communication and how you can get better as a total way to support your self-advocacy. Well, I think covered a lot. That is a lot. And when we spoke prior to the Sunday series, I think you identified this as the hardest skill Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. SLPs to master. Right. Because we're always looking at ways why we won't measure up. I'm new. I don't have experience. All these reasons. And you have a degree. You're learning. You're smart. You can learn more. And step up and say what you need, because if you're not going to say it, nobody else is. (laughs) 
usually. Sometimes people do though. I had, and this is where the team building comes in. I was carrying like an 83% evaluation case load. And my teammates were like, that's just huge. And I'm like, I know it's kind of crippling. And so we as a team went and said, we've problem solved this as a team and here's what's going well, here's what's not going well, and here's some solutions. So, so in that case, were, were the other members of the team SLPs? Yeah, they were. Okay. Yeah. But because we communicated and talked and had connected, they knew what my challenges were and where my skills were. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's a good reminder to step up for other people when when needed. Yeah, I had I had advocated for myself and it took a team going. Mm-hmm. And so saying, you had already advocated that issue mm-hmm. regarding that issue and it, and mm-hmm. it had not been resolved and then it took a mm-hmm. team. Um, oh, and and I was told this is the way it is. This is the way it's coming in and this is the way this is why it is. And that's not necessarily my problem as a speech pathologist. Mm-hmm. It it isn't and that's where knowing where your rights are and your responsibilities are. And this is where I work best. And this is where my capacity is. And this is my boundary, mm-hmm. not in a negative way, but in a, in a, in an understanding way. And that's part of overcoming burnout. Mm-hmm. It's taking that control and that power back and understanding what your options are when you feel you have no options. Mm-hmm. I like that you shared that story because if at first you don't succeed, try, try mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and it took the team to try again. Well, that's a great mm-hmm. story. All right. So self-advocacy. And do we have one more? Yeah. Number 10 was stress management. Ah. I know. <laughs> stress <laughs> management. We talked about the differences between acute stress and chronic stress. Uh, one of my favorite things is the traffic light analogy, which is used often in mental wellness circles. Green is good to go. No stress at all. Yellow is, wait a minute, I'm starting to get stressed. And red is when you have a lot of like, wait, stop. There's way too much stress here. And the less attention we pay to our stress management, the more that yellow disappears. We go from green to red very, very quickly. When we go from green to red very, very quickly, then we don't have that buffer in between. And we have physical symptoms, we have insomnia, we have emotional symptoms. I mean, it's going to come out somewhere. It it just will. So there's a really important need to understand the traffic analogy, red, green, yellow, and learn strategies that keep you in the green and the yellow and avoid red when you can. Some of the things that we talked about managing stress was, I'm scrolling down because I'm looking for my notes here understand, we talked about what understanding stress, we talked about what stress management is and how stress management tools can help us effectively manage and reduce our stress. We talked about taking your own stress pulse and stress management activities included sleeping, dieting, meditation, finding opportunities to be kind to others and be grateful, shifting your mindset, progressive muscle relaxation, something I use a lot, breathing exercises, something I use a lot, cold water dunk I do not use. And then making plans to better manage the stress in your life. So like you said earlier tonight, that some of these apply in our careers and some of them can be used outside of our careers, but learning how to manage stress before it manages and and breaks us is really important. Mm -hmm. Very true. And I also agree on the cold water dunk, Maddie. Good idea, (laughs) but I'll take another strategy. Uh, It's not my... (laughs) I had the honor of moderating that. And I thought about it a few times since (laughs) I even know that that cryotherapy is very popular right now, but Uh not for me. That is interesting that one of the ways to manage stress is with kindness. Can you Mm -hmm. touch upon that a little bit? Yeah. Do you remember in one of those earlier courses, we talked about imposter syndrome, the negative, I think we called them ants. There's a whole bunch of different ways people can assign words to the the acronym of ANTS, but it's anti-negative thought syndrome. It's where you, that's not anti-negative, that wouldn't be right, but it's automatic negative thought spirals. There you go. And it's where when something happens, your brain automatically goes down this negative pathway. And that's where neuroplasticity comes into play. It's halting that and reframing it in a positive way and shifting that mindset. And Mm -hmm. it happens over time. 
learning mm-hmm. to be positive can yeah. take away some of the stress. And mm-hmm. in stressful situations, learning what you can control and what you can't control. And what you can't control, you work on solving so you get some resolution. And then disconnecting and walking away from what you can't control. And that's okay. That is okay. And all of these uh, 10 professional skills are more than okay. Thank you so much for sharing them. And I know we had a few more questions that we wanted to talk about and we are at time. So again, if anyone needs to go, please go and enjoy your evening and make sure you go to speechtherapypd.com and complete the entire course all the modules, including the one that says quiz by the end of the day today, especially if you would like live credits. So for any of you who can stay, please stay. And we have a few more questions for Maddie. Okay. You work with many students in many SLPs. What do you think is the biggest challenge facing SLPs today? Facing SLPs today? Facing SLPs today. We are working under, the field is shifting rapidly, partly due to COVID and partly due to a few other factors that are just as as the medical field and as the school field changes. I know school SLPs are under more and more pressures with virtual demands. More and more families because of COVID are just, the, the gap is widening. And so I think some of the biggest pressures for SLPs today are the biggest challenges is feeling valued and feeling like they have a voice. So many SLPs I know feel that they don't have value. They don't have a voice and that they're stuck and it's learning how to help themselves. And they do it through courses like speech therapy PD offers. It's deciding where they want to go with their careers and getting that power and that confidence back. Mm -hmm. And then once you have that power and confidence back, take Maddie's course to learn about (laughs) self-advocacy. Yeah. Every graduate student that I work with, my favorite question is why, why are you becoming a speech pathologist? And they have a story. Nobody is in graduate school because they had nothing better to do. They all want to go and they want to help and they want to make a difference. Then when they start their clinical fellows, And even as students, they realize that it's a big career. It's an overwhelming career. And some of them from even in grad school are like, maybe this isn't the career for me, which is fine. But for those who do have that big why and that focus and that driven, that drive, how to carry through to the end and make make your career what you dreamed of it. Because we need SLPs in the field. We need dedicated, passionate SLPs. Absolutely. Well, thank you for reaching out to so many SLPs through this 10 series course, Sunday series, as well as through Fresh SLP and of course, Badass SLP. And before Mm -hmm. we go, (laughs) there's just one thing because you are a badass SLP. Can you share with the audience and the listeners what you as a badass SLP are going to do for fun this summer? (laughs) Badass SLP, it's I ride a big motorcycle. He's a big Indian chief vintage, beautiful 1800 cc's if you know motorcycles. His name is Zeus. And Zeus and I are going to take our first solo trip this summer, something I've always dreamed of doing. I've talked about it since I was a little girl with my dad. I've ridden motorcycles for years. And this summer, I am taking a very brave step forward doing something I'm nervous about doing. And I'm hoping to be proud of myself and I will be. And I am also going to be sharing it on Badass Instagram, SLP Instagram, and hopefully encouraging other SLPs to be brave and and step forward and go after what they want. Well, thank you for inspiring so many people to do so. And best of luck with your journey this summer and your journey in the future. And you have so many exciting projects going Mm -hmm. on. I wish we had more time to talk about more of them, but please visit Maddie on Fresh SLP and Badass SLP to learn about some of those projects. Both of those websites are under construction and they're coming along. They'll be done in about three weeks. So if you go visit, understand that's not the final product. Okay. Okay. Wonderful. I'm on summer break, so I'm working on my websites. Well, enjoy that. And is there anything else you would like to add, Maddie? Thank you, Speech Therapy PD. I appreciate this opportunity. We've been talking about this for a year, I think. 
been a wonderful. It has been a long time. Yeah. yeah, I think you you and Yumi started talking about it mm-hmm. last summer. So enjoy the summer and we will not leave you alone too long. I'm sure we'll be asking you to work on another project with us soon. So thank you so much and have a great back. Thanks you too. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us here at Keys for SLPs, providing keys to open new doors to better serve our clients throughout the lifespan. Remember to go to speechtherapypd.com to learn more about earning ASHA CEUs for this episode and more. Thanks for your positive reviews and support. I would love for you to write a quick review and subscribe. Keep up the good work.